0: chapter 56 of half a century by jane gray swishelm this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami drop my alias the second or third day of my hospital work mrs gaylord the chaplain's wife came and inquired to what order i belonged saying that the officers of the hospital were anxious to know i laughed and told her i belonged exclusively to myself and did not know of any order which would care to own me then she very politely inquired my name and i told her it was mrs jeremiah snooks when she went away apparently doubting my statement i had been in campbell almost a week when dr kelly came and said madam i have been commissioned by the officers of this hospital to ascertain your name none of us know how to address you and it is very awkward either in speaking to you or of you not to be able to name you doctor will not mrs snooks do for a name for all the time i shall be here no madam it will not do i was very unwilling to give my name which was prominently before the public on account of my indian lecture in the tribune letters but i seemed to have at least a month's work to do in campbell hospital stores were pouring into my city address and being sent to me at a rate which created much wonder and the men who had given me their confidence had a right to know who i was so i gave my name and must repeat it before the doctor could realize the astonishing fact even when he took off his cap and said it is not possible you are the missus the lady who lectured in dr sunderland's church so i was proclaimed with a great flourish of trumpets for two hours my patients seemed afraid of me and it did not seem too bad to merge that giantess of the bean-pole and the press and the tall woman of the platform both in poor little insignificant me it was like blotting out the big bear and the middle-sized bear from the old bear story and leaving only the one poor little bear to growl over his pot of porridge in ward five was one man who had been laid on his left side and never could be moved while he lived His right arm suffered for lack of support, and when I knelt to give him nourishment with a spoon and pray with him, that the deliverer would soon come, he always laid that arm over my shoulders. The first time I knelt there after I was known, he said, "Ah, you are such a great lady, and do not mind a poor soldier laying his arm over you.' "'Christ, the great captain of our salvation,' I replied, "'gathers you in his arms and pillows your head upon his bosom,' Am I greater than he? Your good right arm has fought for liberty, and it is an honor to support it when you are no longer able. But nothing else I could ever say to him was so much comfort as the old cry of the sufferer by the wayside. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Over and over again we said that prayer in concert, while he waited in agony for the only relief possible, that of death and from our last interview I returned to the bad ward, so sad that I felt the shadow of my face fall upon every man in it. I could not drive away death's gloom, but I could work and talk, and both work and talk were needed. I sat down between two young Irishmen, both with wounded heads, and began to bathe them and comfort them, and said, If you are not better in the morning, I shall amputate both those heads. They shall not plague you in this manner another day." Maybe my sad face made this funny, for their sense of the ridiculous was so touched that they clasped their sore heads and shrieked with laughter. Every man in the ward caught the infection, and I was called upon for explanations of the art of amputating heads in inquiries as to Surgeon Baxter's capacity of performing the operation. This grotesque idea proved a fruitful subject of conversation, and aided in leading sufferers away from useless sorrow toward hope and health and bad as the ward was we lost but two men in it End of chapter fifty six